This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Equity Minds! I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Pardon me. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode, and I feel like I'm doing a lot better than you are at the moment. Uh... Why is that? Well, because we can all hear your deep, <laughs> gravelly, baritone voice has dropped a few octaves. Yes. And you had to interrupt your introduction to cough. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. I um, am somewhat under the weather, but the markets keep rolling. Equity Mates content keeps rolling. And what a time we're in. And I'm locked in a studio with you all morning. And you're locked in a studio with <laughs> so me that's all not morning. ideal. But um, you're right. The markets are rolling. Uh, they are rolling down the hill. They are rolling quickly down the hill. And last night, the, <laughs> as they rolled, they gathered more momentum. We're <laughs> recording on Thursday, the 19th of May. And last night, overnight in the U.S., the Nasdaq was down 5%. The S&P 500 was down 4%. It was tough. It is tough. It is tough. There's probably a lot of people out there questioning what to do, feeling like they wish they'd sold everything, feeling like uh, they wish they never got in the markets in the first place. Uh, we understand it. We've been there before. Uh, so have many of the experts that we've t- spoken to on the show. My opinion is sit tight and uh, think of the possibilities. My opinion is this is super exciting po- time. Think like, of the possibilities. This is, this is the moment where you build wealth. This is like, you know, 2008, 2000. Uh, they, these are the times that people look back on and they were like, damn. Well, yeah, but the people that invested in those times that, you know, got Amazon in 2000 or a bank that survived in two, like got Goldman in 2008, like, um, got after pay at nine fifty in, in, in 2020. Yeah. 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 And saw that go to 165. So obviously like we'll, t- we'll talk about, I think a lot of this episode and future episodes will be about the market falling. But I think for me, it's the market is falling and what am I going to buy? Not the market is falling and I'm going to stop investing. 
I mean, it'd be red hot if I decided I was going to stop investing. It would really put equity mates in jeopardy. That would be quite controversial, yeah, and very against uh, a lot of things that we've spoken about over the years. So <laughs> to put uh, to put the broader market fall in context, I feel like we don't really need to spend a lot of time on this. People know no. uh, Australia not too bad, down about five percent. The US much worse. S and P five hundred is down about eighteen percent for the year. The Nasdaq one hundred is down about twenty seven percent for the year. This was a uh, sell-off that started with unprofitable tech stocks, with crypto, uh, with the the frothier parts of the market. But now it is hitting everything. 98% of companies on the S&P 500 last night were down. 98%? Yeah. Really? Yeah. What were the two that were up? Probably the the inverse ETFs. Well, no. If it was S&P 500, it <laughs> was real companies. T, TJ Maxx, I don't know if they're in the S&P 500, but their parent company uh, beat expectations and was up. overnight, the retailer. There you go. But the reason I talk about retail is because this started with tech and crypto and all of that, but this is now everywhere and it's brutal. Target missed expectations, fell like 24% overnight, a quarter of their market value wiped in a day. Mm -hmm. Walmart uh, is down over 15% this week. This is now a broad market sell-off. Yeah, well, obviously the concern of inflation is now really, uh, the market is expecting it to hit hit consumers pretty hard and and uh, change the way that they spend their money. And that's why the retail, we're seeing a lot of the retails, retailers now being hit. There's obviously cost inflation going into the input of all the goods and services and hitting uh, the margins of these retailers as well. Yeah. Well, um, the, I think, yeah, that. So margins are getting hit, but also uh, consumers aren't spending as much mm. on discretionary items. They're spending more on food and fuel uh, and the numbers that are being reported are starting to show that. Yeah. Yeah. So I was about to ask you what's an investor to do, but we should say Jeremy Grantham, our favorite perma bear, was out in the media overnight as well. No surprise. Uh, he thinks that this has, this could go, this could be the first of two or even three legs down. So, you know, he thinks 50% is likely, more than 50% is on the table, which is a scary thought. Scary how many bargains I'm going to buy. <laughs> so, what? yeah, what's an investor to do, Bryce? What, what are we doing in a situation like this? There's three things that you could probably do, Ren. You can hold through it and keep buying. And I'm going to put my hand up and my – well, I'm going to put my hand on my heart and say that – there's probably a lot of people in the Equimates community wondering what we're doing. And I haven't sold a thing uh, to date – don't plan to sell anything. We're getting pretty excited in the office about the buying opportunities. Yeah. Um, so hand on heart, haven't sold a thing. People may, may think I'm crazy. People may be thinking, you're an idiot. Why aren't you taking your profits? Uh, as we've said many times before, the biggest advantage we have over a lot of these hedge fund managers who are out there at the moment telling people that they're selling is, I'm in this for 40 years. You know how bright, you know how excited Bryce is about what he's doing in this moment that he couldn't even get through the three options to do in that moment. He could (laughs) have set it up and then told us what you're doing. So the first is hold through and keep buying. The second thing you can do is try and play a bit of a defensive game. So set up, um, or make some trades that, um, have a bit of a defensive play or actually some shorts. Yeah. Or you can just go straight to cash, get out of the market and wait, keep your powder dry and wait. Now, uh, you've told us what you're doing, hold through and keep buying. No surprises that I'm taking the same approach. But I think when we talk about why, it's obvious, uh, like it's obvious, we've said it a few times already, that there's some great 
buying opportunities. But the other two strategies are fraught and I think that's something that has really been shown over the past little while. Taking a defensive turn or going short, let's say you were going to go defensive, plenty of the defensive stocks are also getting whacked. Like if you had sold out of unprofitable tech and said, I'm going to go big retail because, you know, people are always going to need to buy food. Uh, Walmart is the biggest retailer in the game. I'm going to sell out of unprofitable tech and go into Walmart because that's defensive. Well, then Walmart gets whacked 15% in a week. So I think um, that's an important thing to keep in mind, unless you went in like all in on commodity and oil stocks. Um, Value is still outperforming at the moment um, in terms of like a broad index. If you're outperf- buying to a value, out- is outperforming in this instance, just not falling as much. Yeah, but I yeah. think that's a defensive play. Well, of course play. it is. Yeah, like yeah. Defensive yeah. doesn't mean you're going to make money. Yeah, you it's, just lose you're less. Losing yeah, less. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's fair. Losing less is a good alternative, I guess. The other option is you can have a bear position, like you can short. Yeah, you can. There are a bunch of ETFs that short the market, but there's a problem with that, which is that it relies on market timing. And there was someone in our office, and I won't say who, that a couple of nights ago was saying they were going to uh, go heavy into SQQQ. Now, for people who are not familiar with that, that is a triple levered uh, inverse NASDAQ ETF. So if the NASDAQ goes up 1%, you lose 3%. If the NASDAQ goes down 3%, you make 9%. It's yeah, would have made 15% last night. Yeah, you would have made 15% last night. But they were going to go into it the day before when the NASDAQ went up 4%. So they would have lost 12% of their money in one night. Uh, I somewhat agree with you, Ren. I, there can be a place for hedging if that's your game. But of course, it comes with, as you've mentioned, market timing risk, and you've got to really know what you're doing. So it's it's certainly not something that that we're sitting here tr- trying to play. That's yeah, for sure. yeah. And the timing risk comes on both sides. <laughs> Obviously, getting in at the right time, like uh, this person who was going to do it in our office would have hit a dead cap bounce straight away and would have lost a significant chunk of their investment straight off the bat, but also getting the hedge right on the other side and exiting at the right time. It can become very ineffective if you, you've you hedged it well on the way down, but you don't sell at the right time and then you lose some of what you've gained on the way back up. Mm. So there's market timing risk with going to cash. There's market timing risk with trying to short the market. The idea of going defensive has some merit, but you know everything's getting whacked at the moment. So, Bryce, how are we going to play this moment here at Equitymates? Well, it's ex- an exciting time for us, Ren. You're walking on our way to work, uh, having a chat about the opportunities that are presenting themselves in the tech space. So we're going to be, I guess, sharing some of the ideas that are coming across our desk, what's exciting us, the possibilities about what's next. That's where we f- feel like we're going to be pl- playing a pretty important role for the community. Yeah. What do you reckon? I think, you know, we obviously can't talk about what we're buying. We can't talk about our recommendations, but uh, we can aggregate the work of experts and across this podcast, across uh, our social media, really share what some of the opportunities are because I think we're both taking this view that this is a real opportunity for us. You know, we're at that age where we're earning more than we're spending so we've got some savings that we can invest and the market is 
throwing up some serious opportunities. So I think that's what we really want to get across in this episode and but across this time period is we're not going to be Captain Hindsight. We're not going to be saying it was obvious that the market was going to crash. We're not going to talk about um, what people should have done months ago or weeks ago. We're going to be really forward-looking and we're going to really try and find some opportunities. And not pick the bottom. Not try and pick the bottom. Because I think, you know, if we look back in uh, at, at previous market crashes, you didn't have to time the bottom perfectly mm. to do well. If you, you know, Amazon fell, what, 98% mm-hmm. in 2000. If you'd bought it down 50%, if you'd bought it down 70%, if you'd bought it down 90%, you would have been stoked by what happened as the market recovered. Yeah. So let's use this opportunity to find great long-term investments rather than lament that we didn't sell in November 2021. Definitely won't be doing that. It's also important to take a, a bit of a step back and look at the bigger picture. The The market, the US market is still up from 2019. So just a, another reminder to kind of zoom out and don't freak out. So that's what you can expect from us over the next little while as things continue the way they are in markets. And I think it's important to recognize that the economic conditions and the stock market are a little bit at odds at this point because, you know, unemployment is incredibly low and 80% of the S&P 500 actually beat expectations or beat estimates in the latest reporting season. Obviously, inflation is the really big story and the really big concern, rising interest rates on the back of that. But it's not like we're seeing the mass bankruptcies that we saw in 2000 or the mass layoffs of workers that we're seeing in 2008 which is really pleasing, like if that's how this can play out and it's just a stock market sell-off, we get inflation under control, great. But I guess the canary in the coal mine and where we want to turn here and what we think people should just be keeping half an eye on is the junk bond market Mm. because there are some warning signs there that bankruptcies might be coming and that's going to be an important story to watch over the coming, I guess, weeks and months. Well, talk us through it. What, What is happening in the junk bond market? Well, for people who are unfamiliar with the term, junk bonds are just high yield bonds. They've got high interest rates because the companies or sometimes the governments, but generally the companies that are um, issuing these bonds, selling these bonds to investors are not considered investment grade. So, you know, the US government might be able to sell a bond at 1% interest. Uh, Apple might be able to sell a bond at 2.5% interest. But some of these companies uh, need to sell a bond at like 10% interest because they're seen as riskier than, than the market. So that's what junk, junk bonds are. What we've seen historically is that the spread between these junk bonds, these US company junk bonds and US government treasury bonds, so some of the junkier bonds and some the safest bonds, the spread between those two interest rates, those two yields, can often be uh, an important indicator of things are going wrong in the economy. Mm. So in 2000 and a few years after 2000, the spreads peaked. 2008, the spreads peaked. 2020, when, March 2020, the spreads peaked as well. So it's just an important thing to watch because uh, spreads have got to their highest level since 2020. Yeah, well, it's, their, it's the worst levels in what almost 18 months yes so things aren't looking good for 
for uh, for the junk bond market. At a high level, junk bonds have sold off and, and the whole bond market has sold off because interest rates are rising. On, on average, junk bonds are uh, trading at 91 cents on the dollar, the lowest level since May 2020. And they've fallen about 10% this year. So when pr- prices of bonds fall, yields rise. Mm-hmm. 4.3% was the average yield according to Bloomberg. In January, it's now 7.5%. So yields are increasing, the price of junk bonds are falling and the spread between what investors are asking for as a return on a safe, high-quality bond like a US Treasury um, and a riskier, lower-quality bond, that spread is increasing. That spread has increased from 3.1% at the end of 2021 to 4.77% this week uh, according to the stat who I'm just realizing, <laughs> I think it was either the Wall Street Journal Bloomberg, or Bloomberg, Bloomberg or the F somewhere, but um, I didn't, I didn't put who, <laughs> where I got times. that from. So that, that's the story in the, uh, in the junk bond market. There's a few examples that we've pulled to just tell the story of, of what's happening. But I think, you know, when we're talking about there hasn't been bankruptcies, this will be a good one to watch to see if some of these, if these companies can't pay back their debt, then there's a risk. This is where, um, What's his name? Wolf of Wall Street really played, wasn't it? Jordan Belfort. Yeah, in pennies and junk. Yeah, yeah. Just pennies. I think a lot of penny stocks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Have you heard of Carvana? I have heard of Carvana. Yeah, so they are a second-hand car dealer, but like online. Yeah. Down 90% from uh, August last year. Stock price? Stock price, down 90%. Wow. Um, So that's not great. No, <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> but if you look in the bond market, they were trying to raise three point. They're trying to sell three point three billion in bonds to acquire another company. They only could get the deal done when a private equity firm, Apollo, showed up and said they would buy half of the debt at a ten point two five percent interest rate. Wow. Yeah, uh, and then. They got the deal done two weeks later. Those bond, the price of those bonds is down nine percent. Wow! But yeah, ten percent interest rate is brutal. That is brutal on yeah. three point three billion or half of three point three billion. But I guess if you were lending the other half, you'd be like, hold on, Apollo got ten percent interest. That's yeah, what I yeah, want as well for sure. Uh, so that's one example. But there's plenty of other examples of listed companies that investors aren't loving at the moment. The bond market investors, Diebold Nixdorf. Never heard, heard of, of them. No. They're an ATM machine manufacturer. Uh, they have $400 million in bonds that are maturing in 2024. So that's when they have to pay the full amount back uh, to investors. They slipped to almost 40 cents on the dollar Two weeks ago, it was 90 cents on the dollar. Wow. And that just indicates how likely investors think it is that they're going to get their money paid back. back. Yeah. 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 Uh, there's a few others. Do you want to talk through those? Party City Hold Co. Never heard of them. The ticker is P-R-T-Y. Party City. So they've got some bonds due in 2026. Uh, the interest rate is 8.75% and they've been one of the most actively traded junk bonds this week falling uh, an astounding 15% to 74 cents on the dollar. So or again, not a lot of confidence there for the market that these guys are going to be able to pay anything back. Party City's share price is also down 85. <laughs> what does Party City do? Uh, they, they, <laughs> they hold part. No, they, I kind of like, like the name. It's like <laughs> they they got a good uh, ticker as well. It's P-R-T-Y. P-R-T-Y, yeah. Um, I think it's like they, it's like stores, retail stores for party, party equipment. Hire. And 
this could be wrong. This is based off no research. But you know how like all those Halloween stores pop up around Halloween and stuff like that? Yeah. yeah. I think they do a lot of those. Right. Yeah, right, yeah, right. yeah. But don't quote me on that second part. But yes, share price down 85, 86% since November. Wow. So the bond market is not confident that they're going to get their money back there. Um, one of the largest issuers of junk bonds in the US, uh, Bosch Health, apologies for the pronunciation, they have $1.25 billion in bonds maturing in 2028. Uh, they were trading above $0.90 cents at the start of the year. They're now below $0.60. Cents. So I think that's a story that's emerging and one to keep an eye on mm. is the companies that will go bankrupt first are either these unprofitable tech stocks that don't have any debt but just can't raise any money or these companies in the that are that have debt but they have to raise it at such a high Ridiculous, interest rate yeah. who are going to struggle to pay it back yeah so they they're probably the, the two big categories of companies to watch because yeah junk bond spreads are widening yeah well, Ren, that brings us to our next segment of the show, which is looking at four stocks from Daniel Loeb's letter, uh, investor letter. But we're going to take a very quick break to hear from our sponsors. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So, Ren, we've been uh, covering off some uh, investor letters and really having a deep dive into what the experts are doing in times like this. And there's no, uh, we say it time and time again, but there's no sort of better resource in our mind than uh, reading some investor letters from some of the best investors around the world. And we've got another a great one here today from Daniel Loeb, who uh, started Third Point, a uh, very well-known activist investor. He's uh he got his name from shaking up boards, taking a, an activist approach, which we'll touch on in, in a second. But uh, he manages $19 billion, as we said, with Third Point. Yeah, he's. Uh, we're going to unpack four stocks that he's spoken about in his in his investor letter. Yeah, that's right. Uh, famous for his letter writing tactics where he would write a public letter to the board but publish it publicly and um, basically shame the board into changing their ways. Um and he's, you know, he's seen CEOs fired and stuff as a result. Great. Love that. So the, th- the four companies that we're talking about, um, Shell, the oil company, Glencore, the mining uh, and commodity trading company, PG&E, which is an energy company, and then Consensus Software, which is a Web3 metaverse and crypto company. One of those four is not like the other. Uh, yes. So <laughs> let's start with Shell. 
and he's back at it again. Yeah, he's uh, he's taking a very activist approach here, which is true to form for him. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure Shell had a dual company structure, and um, I think there was they were listed in uh, in like they were, had a dual listed structure as well. I think they're now all returning to the UK. Lobs being um, pushing that effort. But to quote from his letter, uh, we have reiterated our view that Shell's portfolio of disparate businesses ranging from deep water oil to wind farms to gas stations to chemical plants is confusing and unmanageable. Mm. And so they're pushing to see some changes there. He's pretty um, scathing of them in his letter. He kind of says that it's all over the shop. It's confusing and uh, is yeah really, really pushing for for some corporate change. So... I'd like to see more uh, fund managers managing a lot of money doing this sort of stuff. I think, yeah. I think it's a good approach. Well, so Shell's financials. Yes. Uh, for the quarter, the March quarter just finished. Revenue up 50% year on year. Profit up 26% year on year. I mean, like earnings per share up 30%. Operating income up 126%. Good time to be a oil company. Great time. Yeah. But he's, uh, he's not happy with them. Well, I think he was not happy with them before. Oh, look at this. December quarter, revenue up 94%. Whoa. Profit up 186%. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> BP vibes. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just oil is just having a great moment. And so I guess if, if you were going to push for a restructure, now would be the time. Yeah. Uh, while well, the, the going is good and you've got the cash flow to do what you need to do. Yeah. So, Ren, let's move on to his uh, the second company, and that's Glencore, uh, listed over in London, G-L-E-N. This was uh, a long position that Daniel took, third point took. So, if you haven't heard of Glencore, it's a, a massive commodity trader and also a mining company, and they, they mine uh, copper and nickel, which you know we've spoken previously in, in one of our episodes on the future of Australian industry, they're critical inputs for the transition to renewable energy. Yeah, and I think that's why Third Point mm. like them because yeah. of the copper and nickel. I think a lot of people will know Glencore for another commodity, coal. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you're right. He points out in his letter that um, they, they believe that these uh, two metals that are undergoing a substantial acceleration in demand that are going to outsupply, uh, outpace supply, um, and of course, you know, provide some some uh, decent returns, or they believe that it's going to provide some returns um, for for their shareholders. So, but how crazy is this? So, coal, a lot of people are off mm-hmm. for good reason. Yeah, climate change. Um, <laughs> have you heard of it? Yeah, <laughs> but coal is obviously having a real moment. Like any any energy commodity is having a moment. Oil, gas, coal. How crazy is this? Glencore's coal business is set to generate approximately 10% of the company's market cap in free cash flow this year. Wow. Not even their whole business, just their coal business. Wow. That's significant. That's significant. Yeah. But I still wouldn't invest in a coal miner. You wouldn't? No. Why is that? I Just they're done? I mean, yeah, I want to invest where the future is going. I'm pretty lax when it comes to ethical investing. Like yeah, I, yeah. there are a lot of people that we're friends with that in the equity mates community that have much more stringent standards. Mm-hmm. Like I can't in good conscience watch you smoke darts and no, then, say, then say I wouldn't invest in a tobacco <laughs> <true>. company. <laughs> not true. Um, but for me, coal is the one that it's like 
yeah, I, I just it just makes me feel uneasy to invest in it. Yeah, fair call. Yeah. Fair call. <laughs> Let's move to the third, <laughs> PG and E Corporation. Yeah, have you heard of this company? No, I haven't. So this was, uh, I remember first hearing about this during the California fires a few years ago and they were in serious amounts of trouble. Um, the company is Pacific Gas and Electric. Um, it's a California utility. The story is basically they didn't maintain a lot of their equipment properly and they then, I don't know if they caused or they contributed to um, some of those devastating fires in like 2018, 2019 in California. Do you remember those? Yeah, yeah. The, it's tough to keep up because California no, is... I do remember them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, climate change, you heard of it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, they had a $30 billion liability for poorly maintaining their equipment. Wow. And so they, yeah, they, I think their stock their stock price obviously fell off a cliff, and they, I think they had to declare bankruptcy. Oh wow! And so I actually well, they're back. They're back. They're back, and Third Point are investing in them. And the reason poor, that poor management to get thirty billion in liability from looking after equipment. Yeah, poor management it, yeah. to not maintain your equipment properly and cause or contribute and to it, devastating yeah, bushfires like, that killed a lot of people. What the hell? Yeah. The reason that I think this is interesting, my biggest takeaway from the write-up on this company is how simple investing can be at times. So let me give you some of these points. From the letter, uh, quote, in April, PG&E Corporation reported a straightforward and uneventful set of results, delivering on its promises to customers and investors as investors, we celebrate the simplicity, which um, I like, but their thesis is also incredibly simple. Uh, PG&E trades at 12 times 2022 consensus earnings. The average for a utility company in America is 21 times and their closest peer in California, a company called Edison International, trades at 15 times. It's a value play. It's literally like what's the price to earnings ratio compared to the industry and the closest competitor. Yeah, it's cheaper. It's cheaper. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they, uh, from the letter, again, quote, in this type of market environment, the financial equation of consistent earnings growth and multiple re-rating, and so that's the price to earnings re-rating back to the industry, makes for a wonderfully boring story and a solid anchor for our portfolio as third point's largest position. Mm. And obviously, like the market would have reasons why they're not valuing them as high as the industry because of its history, but that is as simple as a thesis needs to be. Yeah. This is a $19 billion hedge fund and this is their largest position and that's the thesis. Yeah, well, investing in, doesn't in, need to be complicated. Investing doesn't need to be complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Well, and as we say, your thesis can be 30 words or 300 yeah. or 30 pages and it's clear he's been able to articulate why he's making that investment. Uh, I would hope there's a different management team in there though, to be honest. Surely. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, if you've gone bankrupt. Enough. Well, I think in the letter they wrote about the, the CEO... Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I mean, last episode we had a whole conversation about what it means when you go bankrupt. So I, let's not I also do that think again. Last episode we did have another company that came back from bankruptcy from memory. Yeah, and uh, it was in a, in a letter. But anyway, let's turn to the final one, which is Consensus Software. First point not listed. Not listed. Yeah. Yes, they've accessed this through what was it? Their C round. 
But um, yeah, they've series C, series C and series D. And but series we'll get D. To that. Yeah, tell us about the company Consensus. Well, third point, uh, they remain active investors in what they call the evolving digital asset ecosystem, with a focus on companies driving the next generation infrastructure of the decentralized economy. Web three, they love it. They're in it. And uh, they're following on from their Series C round with a Series D in consensus software. And what it does, it's the gateway to the Ethereum ecosystem. That's essentially what it does. Uh, one of their main products is MetaMask, yeah. which we have. Well, yes. I've got. I've used once okay. to yeah. uh, take uh, crypto... <laughs> And put it into Climadel. Lost all our money. <laughs> Lost all our got, money. Potentially got rugged, but that's okay. <laughs> we did get rugged. It we was did. my first and only rugging. <laughs> I'm pretty sure one of my bold predictions at the start of the year that was someone in Equity Mates will get rugged. Yeah, and it turns out we, <laughs> we all got rugged because yeah. we were all in it. Oh, and we're not going to shout out the person that oh. told us about Climadel, but. No, we'll get done for defamation. <laughs> 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 but yeah, they're in. Uh, they're one of the biggest players in the Web three space, and uh, the company's uh, founded by Joe Lubin, um, or led by Joe Lubin, who is um, one of the co-founders of Ethereum. Mm. So, some pretty good talent in there leading leading the company. And uh, Third Point have uh, taken a taken a position. Yeah, monthly active users up thirty times from March twenty twenty which just really tells the story of what happened over the last two years, um, really since the COVID lows, uh, up almost three times from August 2021. That's three times in six months. Still yeah. pretty crazy. But the craziest thing for me was the numbers around the capital raises. And I know this is this is becoming more and more commonplace in these big, I was going to call them, yeah, mega cap startups. Let's call on that. Their Series C, they raised $200 million at a $3.2 valuation, yeah, $3.2 billion valuation in November 2021. Five months later, in March 2022, they raised their Series D $450 million. They raised at a $7 billion valuation. That's, uh, that's Canva growth. <laughs> that, so they've doubled, more than doubled their valuation in five months from $3.2 billion to $7 billion. But they raised two hundred million, and five months later, they needed to raise again. Mm. Well, maybe they didn't need to. Maybe they were just like, "The market's Took good. The chance, Let's take yeah. the chance." Yeah. But how much money are they spending? <laughs> Chewing through it. Well, yeah, there's some stories here of some of the guys that are raising heaps in this, and they're burning through. Engineers alone cost a fortune. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Anyway, um, well, that's what you get. I think in the letter he terms it as parabolic user growth in 2021. So if you get, if you have parabolic user growth, I'm true. sure you can tap on the true. the shoulders of some of the guys to raise some cash. But um, so I yeah. think I think to sum up uh, this conversation, um, uh, a number of companies from Third Point. This is as we've said at the start of this episode. This is something we want to keep doing. Uh, across socials and across the podcast is sharing what expert investors are writing about, uh, investing in, all of that. We spoke about Shell, which is listed, uh, main, uh, main listing is in the UK, S-H-E-L. We spoke about Glencore, also listed in the UK, Glen, G-L-E-N. Uh, PG&E Corporation listed over in the US. Let's get that ticker quickly. Ah, oh, PG&E should have guessed it. What do you reckon the ticker is? PGE. No, PCG. Uh, uh, Got yeah, uh, <laughs> listed on the New York Stock Exchange, and then Consensus Software not listed. Uh, contributors to Bryce and I getting rugged, so yes. we'll never forgive them for that. No. 
a, ri- a range of companies. Yeah, great range. Yeah. Great range of companies. Always a good reminder that uh, there's an investing universe outside the big tech companies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of opportunity. So, Ren, speaking of crypto and getting rugged, uh, we can't close out without a few thoughts on what's going on in the crypto space, particularly with Luna and Terra. We were going to give it a crack and explain it ourselves, but Thomas from Comedian v Economist, the econom- economist side of the two, he did such a great job over uh, on CVE this week that we're going to throw to his explanation and then have a quick chat about it after. Yeah, and uh, it's not just about crypto for people who are um, you know, tuning out at the thought of more crypto chat. He talks about how it relates to George Soros and how he broke the Bank of England. Yeah. So. A, uh, a good conversation that let's listen to now. So stable coins, like I know if people are coming new to this, so the, someone talked about it being like the, the chips at a casino is what you play mm. with when you're in the crypto casino, right? So you don't have to, conv- you don't have to actually use fiat money. So you can get into the crypto mm. system, you use your stable coins, coins to trade in and out of trades. And then when you want to cash in, then you go and go and trade your stable coins for, for fiat. So that's the idea of how, how how they work. Yeah, it's all about like the idea, I think, is that you can then essentially you, you, you don't have to worry about the volatility. <laughs> Lol. Uh, you don't have to worry about the volatility of the market because it's a stable coin. So, but you get all the, all the privacy and transactability mm. of crypto. So you can buy things internationally. You can, you know, it becomes less, mm. uh, more difficult to trace your transactions and all those crypto decentralized benefits, mm. but you get this rock solid stability. Um, of the US dollar or whatever other yeah. uh, pegged currency you've got. I think that 70% of Bitcoin purchases are made using Tether. Tether is like the biggest stable coin in the market. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's 70%. Which also of fell off a cliff, but then that's managed yeah, to, lost its, to lost regain its peg. Yeah. And so it's now back pegging against the US dollar. Mm. But Terra, not so much. No, no. So what are the what are the implications for the crypto space? I mean, I think this is really interesting. I think the big one is whether these stable coins will stay stable. And like in, in a sort of currency sense, they're pegged. Like we have throughout history, we've often pegged currencies. You peg one, one currency to another in terms of mm. its value. And then the central bank, you know, maintains that value through buying and selling or whatever it's doing or capital controls. So it's kind of, it's a peg. So pegs historically have often run into trouble. So the so the parallel a lot of people were talking about is the exchange rate mechanism crisis back in 1992. So this is when George Soros broke the Bank of England. So the bank, Ooh. the pound, the pound was pegged to the mark through the exchange rate mechanism. So everywhere, every all the European countries sort of had were running fixed exchange rates with each other. But it seemed everyone thought that the pound was overvalued and that it was that it needed to be needed to devalue. But what happens with a peg is you get what. George Soros called a one-way bet. So you can short the currency, but there's no there's no risk that the currency is going to move because the worst, you know, so you, you take a short bet, you bet the price is going to fall. The worst case mm. scenario is that the peg, is, peg holds and the currency doesn't change value at all. And then you're mm. only up for the interest cost you've had to pay to borrow borrow the money to for your short. But so it's like you compare that with like when you're shorting you know, GameStop or something or AMC, when you got that short squeeze, the risk, you, you know, you bet that the stock price is going to fall, but then the stock price goes up. You're exposed to sort of infinite risk there. Mm. Um, but you're not with, with a peg. The only risk is that it stays steady. It doesn't actually fall. 
And so it creates this one-way one way bet where you can short the – this is what George Soros did. He shorted the pound. He was borrowing pounds and selling them into the market, um, betting that they would fall – that the pound would fall in value. If it didn't fall in value, it was just – he knew what the outcome was going to be. There was no – there's no risk it was going to – the pound was going to go up. Um, so it was a one-way bet. And so he piled on. People saw what he was doing. It created a bit of a rush the whole forex market piled on and eventually it broke the broke, broke the bank of england the bank of england had to raise rates they raised it by 200 basis points in the morning and then another 200 basis points in in the evening Whoa. in the afternoon yeah 400 in a day trying to trying to defend this peg and eventually there was so much money betting against them that they just gave up and let, let the pound <laughs> let the pound declared fall. bankruptcy declared bankruptcy <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> they let the pound fall they let the pound fall. Yeah, yeah. At which right. point, at which point, George Soros's short bet then mm. turned out to be a winner, and he he, he banked a billion dollars out of that trade. Really, uh, one trade apparently. Yeah, biggest biggest trade in history. Yeah, so wow. it became, it became super famous, and then all countries were very nervous about pegs from that point on, particularly when there's downside <laughs> pressure, which there yeah, which there is. And so this is what people are talking now that this is what happened to terror is that were, there was a short bet against terror. Effectively, it was a little bit more engineered than that through bitcoin mm. but that yeah it was an it was an attack because people didn't think it could hold because part of the way like it operates it was algorithmic so it's not backed by anything like tether has is theoretically at least backed, it's backed by, by luna <laughs> yeah terra was backed by luna which is like yeah. A, a cryptocurrency which kind of works when when luna's rising but when once luna starts falling then you create mm. this death spiral where they've they had to print more Luna to try and prop up the currency, which devalues Luna, which undermines the value of the of Terra. And because that, that was my that was my understanding of the situation was Luna was used as like a, I think they call it a governance token. Mm-hmm. The, essentially, they controlled the price of Terra by by controlling the supply of Luna. So they would just print more Luna. Increase, you know, liquidity mm. in the market, increase supply in the market, which, which brought the cost down. And then, and then they would burn tokens if they needed to, to reduce supply and push the cost up. Mm. But then they, they started heading the wrong way. And so they just started like printing Luna like it was going out of fashion, mm. but realized that there was nobody to buy the Luna anymore. Mm. So mm. then they just, it went to zero. Luna's supply went from $345 million at the start of last week to end with mm. 6.5 trillion Luna in circulation <laughs> by the end it's of the week. It's not working. <laughs> yeah, and at that point they just gave up. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. man. I mean, the funny thing is algorithmic pegs have, have failed already in the market and they also have, it's a theory this death spiral exists in markets mm. in other financial instruments, so it's kind of well known. And so people have been talking about it for a while. It's not a shock. Like people, mm. were, people were but pointing to this weakness. Ago, Thomas, it was but a long were- time ago that these things happened. I don't know who George <laughs> Soros is, but I know what crypto is. <laughs> yeah, and you can guarantee that the the Reddit forums <laughs> that are spooking crypto and the Twitter feeds, we have Kenny G talking about buying bullish on uh, Luna. That he's mm. probably not across the George Soros situation, so I mean that's what it looks like. Like you, some of the, some of the analysis that I'm reading is pretty condescending about the way this peg was structured. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's quite funny. I'll admit I'm having a good laugh, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's 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 pretty full on. But I think it's interesting because this now I think puts pressure on the other peg. So 
uh, other stable coins. So Terra had about 10% of the total stable coin market cap. Mm. Tether's the biggest at saying it's 46% or something like that. But, you know, if, if you can break something that's 10% of the market, like what's the stop you breaking something that's 46%? Mm. And there are different structure in the sense that Tether is supposedly, you know, it's collateralized. So you, you buy $1 worth of Tether, you give Tether a dollar and then that, that it sticks that in the bank or it buys a treasury bond or something like that. Mm. But a lot of people are like, there's a lot of red flags around. What did, what did Business, Insider, Business Insider ran an article saying that Tether looks like a business that's a quilt made up of entirely of red flags? <laughs> <laughs> and there's no, there's no auditing, yeah, right. like there's no, there's no transparency about where Tether is keeping its reserves and whether it can defend itself or whether it, there even is the money there. Could be in Bitcoin. Could be, yeah, which is what Luna went and did to try and defend itself, bought a whole bunch of Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> and then Bitcoin yeah. went down. Bitcoin and everything, went like, down. everything went down. So is, there any, is down. there is there any implications here for the broader market? Like is it is it could it spread beyond crypto or is this just another kind of crazy crypto story? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think risk for crypto is that you see an attack on Tether and mm. there's massive, massive selling on Tether, then Tether, ha- Tether has to come up with its reserves. And it depends on how liquid those reserves are. If it is in government debt paper, as they say that it is, um, mm. then, they're, then, they're, then they're going to be all right. But a lot of people saying that there's no evidence that that's the case and they think that it's they're speculating in Chinese real estate paper and things like this. So <laughs> it'll be interesting if, it, if, it, if there is an attack on Tether. Because as I'm saying, it's a, it's a one-way bet. You know, Tether either holds its peg or it falls. There's no downside if you're shorting or you've got the interest, your interest, interest expense. There's no downside right. to it. You know, and they're saying people, people, it seems that people attacked Terra. So what's to stop people attacking Tether and then doing it in a group, which is what's Soros happened. Once Soros says, I'm doing this, everyone like, oh, yeah, one way bet. I'm with you. Like hmm. throw 20 billion at it. No worries. Yeah, so they could go after Tether. All his snail mail followers that were tuned into his, news, his newsletter. <laughs> if Tether goes down, so Tether's, yeah, so that's, there's something like 70% of Bitcoin purchases are in, in, done in Tether. Tether's daily trading volume is higher than Bitcoin and Ethereum combined. So that's a big story in the market. And a less liquid assets are worth less. That's just the general rule in finance. The less liquid an asset is, the less it's worth, other things being mm. equal. So that then puts a lot of pressure on the whole crypto space, I would think. And then the question then is, like, does this bleed into the financial system? And for the moment, people don't seem too worried about that. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like I was reading someone saying, like, you know, you look at crypto's market cap, it's down from $3 trillion at its peak last year. It's now down to just over $1 trillion. So you've, $2 trillion has been wiped from the market. You break that down, about $1 trillion is your retail mum and dad investors and your crypto chads. They've lost a trillion. But the other mm. trillion is institutional investors. And if you look at Coinbase's... Um, trading volumes in 2021, uh, two thirds of it was institutional. Like it used to be entirely retail, but now two thirds of it were institutional last year on Coinbase, Mm. Coinbase's exchange. So, and everyone was talking about, oh, institutional players are getting in, they're going great, but those institutional players are getting burned now and they've lost, they've lost $1 trillion. That Mm. in itself isn't enough to um, crash the economy, but it depends on how leveraged it is because you had $1 trillion highly leveraged during the GFC. That's what caused the GFC. So $1 if it's leveraged, is enough to cause some serious problems. 
but we, mm. we yeah we don't really know yet so yeah depends on that but could be a few more people institutionalized before <laughs> this is all over i reckon <laughs> <laughs> If you would like to hear more about what CVE do, Thomas and Adam, uh, make sure you go and subscribe to their show. They are, they're doing a fantastic job of breaking down what's going on in the macro landscape and, and some of the big news stories. And, uh, hopefully that gave you a good example of, uh, the style in which that they, they deliver it. It's a fantastic show. We've got Get Started Investing as well. This week we cover the fact that it is all going to be okay and just uh, give you a bit of a reminder on how to zoom out a little bit and put everything in perspective. And then to, to cover off the rest of your investing journey, we've got You're In Good Company, The Dive, which is uh, our news show. And we come at you three times a week each episode, taking news headlines and uh, putting it into context and looking at the bigger picture. Crypto Curious is unpacking everything that's going on in crypto markets at the moment. There is plenty happening and talk money to me, to our financial advisors, Candace and Felicity, helping you on your money journey. So there's plenty of content in the Equitymates community and on our network. Head to equitymates.com for more information. But Ren, as we said at the top of the show, we're going to endeavor to uh, highlight some of the awesome possibilities and exciting moments that are going to pop up as the markets continue on their frothy journey. And uh, it's always good to chat stocks. Pick yep. up next week. Sounds good. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Mates Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website, where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. 